It's a great day for flying. You arrive at the airport and the aircraft's there ready to go. You do your pre-flight and then head out with your mate. Runway's clear and you blast out. Suddenly, the engine loses power, surges back to life for a bit before quitting completely. What do you do? You're so excited to go flying, you didn't even really do a takeoff safety brief today. I mean, you take off out of here all the time. In this episode, I'm going to discuss the importance of the takeoff safety brief, as well as all the information we should be considering to put in it, including the impossible turn. All this and more coming right up, so strap in and let's get into it. G'day everyone, it's Monday and that means it's time for another episode of Flight Training Australia, episode 13. The podcast is all about flight training, private and commercial flying in Australia and beyond. I'm your host Trent Robinson and thank you so much for joining me. For those that are new to the podcast, welcome, I hope you get something out of it. If there's other episodes you uh, would like to go and see, you can find them all on the podcast server that you're using right now. Or you can go to flighttradingaustralia.com.au and you'll see all the episodes there, which you can listen to straight out of the uh, the website. Or you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, uh, Deezer, Overcast, everything. It's everywhere. All right. Any of those you like, whatever suits you. You'll also find links at the top to Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram, where you can follow me there as well. So today's episode is a follow-on from episode nine, where I started talking about in-flight emergency training. And I wanted to get into detail a bit more now about the importance of a takeoff safety brief. Now, this can apply for single-engine aircraft or multi-engine aircraft. And uh, I just find that it is either not done at all or so poorly done or done as a chore, something just to get out of the way so we can go flying because the instructor wants to hear it, whereas done properly, it could literally really mean the difference between a positive, happy outcome and one that just turns to tragedy. So let's have a look at our options here and what are we going to talk about. So first of all, what is a take or safety brief or a TOSB as you'll sometimes seen it? annotated. Well, essentially, it's a mental preparation to get you thinking about the takeoff, which is just about to take place based on the aircraft you're in, the surrounding conditions, the local environment, your personal experience and proficiency, both as a pilot and in that aircraft that you're flying. Whenever you go to takeoff, you should always be considering your options in the event of either an engine failure or some kind of other failure or warning, right? This includes after landing at your destination and then on your turnaround to head back again. You're now in a totally different environment with new considerations to think about. As with any briefing, the idea is to have considered the performance of the aircraft and local environment in the flight planning stage. Then pull that together and brief ourselves just prior to takeoff. So when should you conduct the brief? Well, I really feel the best time is as soon as, uh, well, as close as possible to takeoff. I see some pilots do it the other way around. 
get it out of the way either just after start, still in the park, parking bay, then go taxi for some 10 to 15 minutes or so, doing their run-ups, all sorts of other things going through their head. And then they don't really remember what they just went through. Their brain's not pre-programmed. It's cluttered with all sorts of other things going on. And it's just might as well not have done it in the first place. So what do we need to consider? Well, it very much depends on the stage of training or license that you're up to and the sophistication of your aircraft. When you start out, the most simplest form was probably something along these lines. If I have an engine failure before, let's say, 55 knots, I'll close the throttle and come to a stop. If I have an engine failure after 55 knots, I'll lower the nose, land within 30 degrees of the runway heading and use flap as required. Sound familiar? So this is the absolute minimum you probably should be doing. And as a student pilot, it meets the requirements and will usually get you out of trouble to a degree. But what were the things you noticed I talked about there? First of all, engine failure. Nothing else. What if the airspeed indicator doesn't indicate? What if I don't actually develop full power? What if I lose oil pressure? What if there's some other indication that's going on? Oil streaming out of the engine cowling. Fire. What about a door being open or a seatbelt left flapping? Probably one of the most common reasons to abort a takeoff or return back to land is open doors or something hanging out of the door. All right, so there's heaps of things to think about here. So what we could possibly do is add a little bit of that detail into our simple takeoff safety brief. And it could go something like this, perhaps. On the engine roll, I expect to see full power, temps pressures in the green, airspeed increasing. If I have an engine failure before 55 knots, and off we go. Still talking about engine failures, but at least now we've checked that our engine power indications are all as we expect. right? But what about the other things I just talked about? How could we roll that in? Well, we want to first consider what our actions would be in the event of an engine fire, engine failure, or some kind of warning. If I notice the cockpit storm window has been left open, am I going to board a takeoff and land straight ahead? Well, I would hope not. However, I can tell you that pilots have done just that. Realised the storm window's open, overreacted and panicked a bit, closed the throttle, tried to land at the end of the runway, whatever was left, overshot and crashed. So we really need to think about these things and it will depend on how your aircraft is configured and what it actually has as to what it is that you need to consider. So I would generally be considering engine failure of fire. Now, these are things that we're going to stop for on the runway. And we can fail, uh, stop for warnings up until our rotate speed as well. So our brief might then evolve into something along these lines. If I have an engine failure, fire a warning before 55 knots, I'll close the throttle and come to a complete stop. If I have an engine failure or fire after 55 knots, I'm going to lower the nose, land within 30 degrees of runway heading and flap is required. Any other warning or malfunction, I'll take airborne and deal with it in the air 
and return to land as soon as safely possible. So now we've got a bit of a plan that we've briefed ourselves on. Engine failure, or well, the decisions made for you in a single, we'll get to twins in a minute. Engine fire, again, not something we want to take airborne. In a typical light aircraft, light GA airplane, we don't have fire suppression systems, so we need to get on the ground as soon as possible. That fire takes hold. It can get through the firewall, the firewall pretty quick and really cause some big troubles, not something you want to be experiencing at all. So we need to get on the ground ASAP. If we have an open door, flapping seatbelt, alternator light, some other issue, generally, don't panic. Let's just take the, air pro the problem airborne, manoeuvre back uh, to land, and uh, then we can deal with it then or taxi back and shut down. All right, so once we've done that brief, what about considering our options airborne? So up to rotate speed, we're going to stop. After rotate speed... For a fire or failure, we're going to uh, put it down ahead somewhere. We're not going to do that for a warning or an indication. We'll, we'll sort that out and come back. We've got essentially two options. Well, actually, we've got a couple options. What if there's some runway remaining? Well, if we've got a nice long runway, then absolutely, we're going to use that. So we're going to land on the runway available. So we might adjust our brief to say... If we have an engine failure after rotate, but we've runway or suitable runway available, we'll lower the nose and land flap as required. What does suitable runway mean? I've seen pilots do this where they've waited until they've crossed the upwind end of the runway, and then that's when they get their gear up. So if you're in a retractable undercarriage airplane, you'd usually go runway away, gear away. But what this should really be is usable runway away gear away. Usable runway means to be able to put the nose down, flare, hold off, touch down and come to a stop. So if you've only got a little bit of bitumen in front of you, there's probably not much point planning on trying to use it because you're just not going to be able to pull up in time. So now we're looking at a uh, land ditching, essentially putting it down on the ground somewhere ahead of us. So what have we got? Well, Bushes, trees, pastures, paddocks, highways, industrial areas, all airports, all surrounded by all different things. Which way are you going? One way might be better than the other. Is there any power lines around, masts or towers? You might be able to just turn right slightly or left slightly and uh, get yourself to a good landing area. Obviously, if it's your local airport, you're going to be nice and familiar with what options are around on the upwind ends of the runways. Some other options are you can jump on something like Google Earth and just analyse things a little bit more, get an idea of measuring how far away from the runway it is, and you could even calculate your glide ratio. The optimum glide ratio is usually published in your aircraft's POH, and you could work out how far you've actually got to glide given a perfect world, and put the aircraft down. You can see what's actually within reach. And this is where we come down to the impossible turn or the turn back to the runway versus the 30 degrees either side of the runway heading. So let's talk about that one for a sec. 
more and more I see on YouTube and hearing instructors talking about turning back and how it can be done and I don't know why you would land straight ahead when it's clearly going to crash. So there's a few little considerations here we need to go and think about for a sec. And first of all, the definition of a crash. Engine fail to take off in a single is a pretty bad, scary, horrible thought. All right, It doesn't happen very often, but it can happen. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is that we walk away from it with minimal injuries as possible. The aircraft is not what we should be worrying about preserving. Of course, if there's somewhere where we can safely put it down, fantastic. Aeroplane gets fixed and we're all we're all happy. But I have seen pilots make considerations where the preservation or conservation of the aircraft is the primary factor in their decision-making process. And this is should not happen. This is dangerous. You're going to try and look after an aeroplane that could be repaired and put yourself in danger. So we mustn't do that ever. The decisions we make have to be the best solution with the options available to us that we're going to be able to get on the ground and walk away safely. So why do we do 30 degrees nose down and not try and turn back to the runway? Well, obviously, this is something we're taught in initial training. And the whole idea is as the angle of bank increases, the stall speed increases. All right, so who picked me up on that? Everyone's like, no, it doesn't. Although this is what a lot of you have been told. The stall speed only increases because we're applying back pressure to maintain height. An aeroplane doesn't stall because of angle of bank. It stalls because of angle of attack. Remember that. Depending on your experience level and the aircraft and its glide performance, you may lose considerable amount of height in the turn. You need to apply a lot of back pressure to try and keep the aircraft airborne. This is the threat. And if you are not all over it and well rehearsed in that manoeuvre, it can go pear-shaped and end up in a spiral spin dive scenario, uh, which is just not something we want to be exposing anybody to. So the best risk mitigation strategy is to lower the nose, keep our manoeuvring to a minimum, i.e. our angle of bank slash back pressure, exceeding angle of attack, and put down somewhere straight ahead. This is why we teach this. Now, as you gain more experience and start flying different aeroplanes, there are absolutely some aeroplanes out there that will make the impossible turn possible. All right, we can probably talk about this again in a whole other episode because there's plenty to talk about. But the general consensus is to do that, it needs to be done by an experienced pilot. The handling of the aircraft needs to be spot on and the risks are just too great for it to be a standard training practice or training response. All right, I have had people say that after 700 feet, they're going to turn back to the field. Okay, so we've got a vertical datum of 700 feet, but how far out are we hitting 700 feet? Do we use max angle climb to get there? Do we climb out normally? Do we climb out a bit slow because it was a really hot, sluggish, horrible day? Which means 700 feet could be a mile away, could be three miles away. 
So making such statements and teaching it and using it as a standard response is dangerous and should only be done when it's been fully and carefully considered. C208 caravan training, for example, a caravan can do it and it's actually part of the training syllabus. It's very well known for its glide potential, uh, but other aircraft, not so much. So we really need to think about what actions we're gonna take based on our experience and the aircraft that we're in and how we're gonna handle it. So the majority of people, we should really be looking at just trying to keep it somewhere in front of us. If it's a bit outside 30 degrees, then fine, of course, you're not gonna say, nope, sorry, that's 35 degrees, not landing there. Right. The idea is to keep the angular bank and all that to a minimum. All right, so take a safety brief, lots to think about there. Next week, we're gonna get into multi-engine uh, take our safety brief and all the different considerations there. Uh, lots to talk about and we're going to incorporate a few more uh, items in that such as our takeoff distance available, takeoff run available, or takeoff, takeoff run required, accelerate stop distance, uh, not to mention our single engine rated climbs and how to work all that out. So lots to talk about there. All right, so that's everything for this episode. Thank you again for listening. Remember in the details uh, of the podcast, you can email me. You'll find my email address there, info at trentrobinsonaviation.com.au and you can get in touch with me or also on Facebook and Instagram. Feel free to follow me there. Until next week, blue skies and remember the golden rule, aviate, navigate and communicate. Cheers, everyone.